In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, today we're going to discuss a very important topic, which is the topic of abortion, because this is something that's very much in the news now, as I mentioned um, in the announcements. Um, so there was recently a leak uh, of a draft Supreme Court opinion uh, regarding a case that the Supreme Court had been deliberating, which uh, is very much related to the Roe v. Wade decision that was made in 1973, which essentially made abortion a constitutional right in America. So we're going to speak a little bit about kind of the history of abortion in America uh, and uh, how it kind of all came about to be kind of where we are now and what is the state of things um, as of right now. And then also, what is the church's view of um, abortion? So what is abortion? Abortion is the termination of a pregnancy by removal or expulsion of an embryo or fetus. An abortion that occurs without intervention is known as a miscarriage or spontaneous abortion. When deliberate steps are taken to end a pregnancy, it is called an induced abortion. The word abortion generally refers to induced abortion. So this is typically what um, people refer to when they just use the word abortion. Uh, generally, they're speaking about induced abortion where um, a, a person chooses to abort uh, the, the fetus that is inside um, the womb of the mother. The reasons why women have abortions are diverse. There's many reasons why a person might want to have an abortion. So some are personal, meaning they might not be able to afford having a child, or they don't have uh, support from family or friends or anyone else to support the child. Uh, maybe they got pregnant when they were too young and um, they, they cannot handle the responsibility. Maybe they have other uh, priorities or goals in their life that would be hindered by having a child and raising the child, like wanting to complete their education or advance in a career. Um, maybe feeling that they're not able or willing to raise a child conceived as a result of rape or incest. So if there was rape or incest um, and the woman uh, gets uh, pregnant, she might decide to abort the child. There's societal motivations for abortion, um, maybe having a preference for a child of a specific sex uh, and aborting a child who is not of that sex. Uh, disapproval of single or early motherhood, the idea of someone who is single getting, ab uh, getting pregnant that might be looked down upon, so a person wants to uh, not have the child, aborts the baby to avoid kind of the social stigma of that. Uh, insufficient economic support, Lack of access to or rejection of contraceptive methods. So if someone is not having access to contraception and they get pregnant, they might choose to abort the child because they were not. it was not a planned pregnancy. Efforts toward population control. This is uh, maybe less common, but in some countries, uh, um, like China, for instance, they have limits on how many kids that a couple can have because of population restrictions. Um, I believe they no longer have the one child. I think now that you can have two ch children because they, they felt they noticed that the population was actually starting to drop. Um, so they, they made it so that you can have more, I believe. Um, maternal or fetal health. Uh, so if the, if, if the pregnancy is affecting the life of the mother, um, then that could be a motivation for abortion. Um, or if people find that there's a physical or genetic impairment with the child, um, then some, some might choose to abort the, the baby before they're born. What is the background leading up to the Roe v. Wade decision? So um, prior to the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973, there were states that had outlawed abortion completely. And one of those states was Texas. 
Um, and so it was a crime. Um, and criminalizing abortion laws uh, started to happen in England, uh, and this became the basis of criminalizing abortion in the United States. So there was this push for seeing that um, the laws that were on the books in the various states that were outlawing abortion were actually infringing on the constitutional rights of women. And so this is how this, this case rose up to the level of the Supreme Court. During the 1960s to the 1970s, a new morality began to spread throughout America. Feminism and the sexual revolution combined to shift public opinion toward legalizing abortion as an equality standard. However, many states had adopted strict laws against abortion, only making it available to women whose lives were in danger without it. Due to the strict laws on abortion, it was common for women to travel to states where it was legal, making abortion much more difficult to access for poor women. Many women who wanted an abortion but could not legally or uh, legally afford to go to another state for the operation would perform abortions on their own that led to a high U.S. maternal mortality rate. So people who tried to do abortions on their own because they didn't have access to abortion nearby where they lived. Jane Roe, now Jane Roe is not her real name. Her real name is Norma McCorvey, um, but she goes by Jane Roe in the, in the court case. Jane Roe, pregnant and single, wanted to have an abortion in Texas. But Texas laws against abortion made it a felony. Unable to afford travel expenses to get an abortion in another state, Roe filed suit to contest the Texas abortion laws. The majority opinion of the, of the Supreme Court asserted that the right to an abortion is protected under the 14th Amendment and therefore the Texas statutes and other state statutes of its kind violate the Constitution. So without going into all the details of the case, but it was determined that uh, abortion is actually a constitutional right of every uh, woman and, and so the states cannot regulate it and they cannot ban it. This is what the 14th Amendment says. This is the part that they refer to. All persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which abridges the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall deprive any state uh, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protections of the law. This is called the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment, and this, along with other things, was the motivation behind uh, striking down the uh, anti-abortion laws in the states. At the time, just as we are seeing now, there were many people protesting and many people um, who were pushing the idea that abortion should be allowed. And these are some of the kind of slogans that uh, were being said at the time and which continue to be said even today. Women must have control over their own bodies. Safe and legal abortion is every woman's right. Who decides? You decide. Abor abortion is a personal decision between a woman and her doctor. Who will make this most personal decision of woman's life? Will women decide or will the politicians and bureaucrats in Washington? Freedom of choice is a basic American right. The argument um, for the abortion right, so well, the argument against abortion, right? those who argue against abortion, they are not arguing because they want to remove rights from women. 
they are not arguing because they don't feel a woman should a woman should have freedom to choose about her body right the the uh, the argument against abortion has to do with the person who is living inside the woman right who has that there is a life of another person who is living inside of the woman and protecting that life that is the motivation for people who are against abortion the people who are for abortion for the right of a woman to abort their focus is not on as much the life of the child as they are on it, the freedom of choice of the woman to decide for herself because obviously this is something that very much affects her body very much affects her health this is a, a big big event that's happening to her so the, the idea that it's like i should choose for myself what i do with my body okay so you notice here all of the arguments the pro-choice arguments which is why they it's called pro-choice not pro-abortion pro-choice meaning the the right of the woman to choose for herself is is given such high priority over the life of the child that is in her whereas those who are against abortion they reverse it right those who are against abortion are not against freedom right but they're saying well freedom is not an absolute there are times when our freedom is limited for instance i do not have the freedom to go in the street and kill someone right yes we live in a free country and i have freedom but there are limits to my freedom so a big part of this um, kind of division between the groups that are for and against has to do with where what priorities do they place to these different things okay and has to do with how they view the child that is inside the woman is this child a living being is it a human being at what point does it become a human being right all these questions go into this idea of when some people feel it is appropriate to abort or it's okay to abort versus not okay to abort now, it's definitely a complex issue, for sure. Since the Roe v. Wade decision, which was made in 1973, there have been 63 million abortions performed in the U.S., and I believe around the world, it's maybe close to 1.5 billion abortions that have been performed. The key to success for this abortion movement, and we're going to talk about it in more detail, is it diverted the issue from being one of murder to being one of choice. The issue here, from, from the perspective of those who are pushing the abortion agenda, it is not about murder. We are not going to discuss murder. Actually, we're not even going to discuss this, this person or even acknowledge that this is a person at all inside of the womb of the mother. The focus is completely on the choice, right? Who can choose? Who is the one who's going to decide? Is, are there going to be some bureaucrats and lawmakers that are going to decide for a woman whether she can choose to do this with her body or not, right? That is the focus. Who, who is the one who decides? So how did this begin? So the architect of the abortion movement, his name was Bernard Nathanson, okay? He was a co-founder of an organization called NARAL, which is the National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws, and later on it was renamed the National Abortion and Re Reproductive uh, rights Action League, okay? And this is him speaking about himself, okay? This is his own story, speaking about himself. He said, in 1968, I met Lawrence Later. Later had just finished a book called Abortion, and in it had made the audacious demand that abortion should be legalized throughout the country. I had just finished a residency in obstetrics and gynecology and was impressed with the number of women who were coming into our clinics, wards, and hospitals suffering from illegal, infected, botched abortions. 
We sat down and plotted out the organization now known as NERAL. With Betty Friedan, we set up this organization and began working on the strategy. We persuaded the media that the cause of permissive abortion was a liberal, enlightened, sophisticated one. Knowing that if a true poll were taken, we would be soundly defeated, we simply fabricated the results of fictional polls. We announced to the media that we had taken polls and that 60% of Americans were in favor of permissive abortion. So this is leveraging what the idea that people want to believe what the majority believe. If 60% of people are saying that permissive abortion is good, then maybe I will be influenced and I will also say that it's good. Nobody wants to be part of the minority. Nobody wants to be the one who stands up and says no to a large number of people. And knowing this, and actually we see this uh, approach and this philosophy, the idea of just fabricating things and making things up and outright lying is very common. So they lied and they made up a poll to make it seem like the majority of Americans felt that permissive abortion was the way to go. Remember, this is at the time where abortion is largely rejected as being wrong and many, many states have laws out, out, um, outlawing it. This is the tactic of the self-fulfilling lie. Again, he continues, this is him speaking. Few people care to be in the minority. We aroused enough sympathy to sell our program of permissive abortion by fabricating the number of illegal abortions done annually in the U.S. The actual figure was approaching 100,000, but the figure we gave the media repeatedly was 1 million. Okay. Actually, even today, with all of the talk about um, this Supreme Court case, that if it is overruled, it will, it will no longer, America will no longer consider abortion to be a constitutional right, there are still many states that will continue to have legal abortion. It is not banning abortion. It is simply saying that it is not a constitutional right. If a state chooses to ban abortion, they can. If a state chooses to allow abortion, they can. And so statistically, based on the studies that they had done, if the Supreme Court actually does overrule this case, 1973 Roe v. Wade, then it will cause a, a decrease in abortions by 14%. It is not like abortions are going to go down to 0%. No, we're talking about a 14% reduction in the number of people who would be getting abortions compared to what it is today. So here, the, they, they lied and they, they inflated this number and they said, no, there's actually 1 million women having illegal abortions without access to abortion. And so again, they are turning it into what? We have to make abortion legal because right now it is a danger to women these one million women who are having abortions illegally, which are who are hurting themselves, when actually the number was 10% of that, only 100,000. Repeating the big lie often enough convinces the public. The number of women dying from illegal abortions was around 200 to 250 annually. The figure we constantly fed to the media was 10,000. These false figures took root in the consciousness of Americans, convincing many that we needed to crack the abortion law. Another myth we fed to the public through the media was that legalizing abortion would only mean that the abortions taking place illegally would then be done legally. In fact, of course, abortion is now being used as a primary method of birth control in the United States, and the annual number of abortions has increased by 1,500% since legalization. So one of the arguments that they made at the time to make people feel comfortable with this idea of, giving, of allowing abortion was saying, well, only those women that are currently getting the abortions illegally 
that those women will now get, it, now get them legally. But it's not going to increase the number of abortions. It's only going to make the existing abortions safe. That was one of the arguments that they made. New York um, had, had a law that was outlaw outlawing abortion for 140 years. It had been outlawed for 140 years. So he said, what, in two years of work, we at NARAL struck that law down. We lobbied the legislature, we captured the media, we spent money on public relations. Our first year's budget was 7,500. Of that, 5,000 was allotted to a public relations firm to persuade the media of the correctness of our position. That was in 1969. New York immediately became the abortion capital for the eastern half of the United States. We were inundated with applicants for abortion. To that end, I set up a clinic, the Center for Reproductive and Sexual Health, which operated in the east side of Manhattan. It had 10 operating rooms, 35 doctors, and 85 nurses. At the end of the two years that I was the director, we had done 60,000 abortions. I myself, with my own hands, have done 5,000 abortions. I have supervised another 10,000 that residents have done under my direction, so I have 75,000 abortions in my life. This is including all the people he was managing. After two years, Nathanson resigned, resigned from CRASH, this um, organization, Bec became chief of the obstetrical service at St. Luke's Hospital in New York City, a major teaching center for Columbia University. In 1973, new technologies became available designed to give physicians a window into the tomb, now into the womb. Remember at this time, okay, there was no ultrasound. There was no way to really see inside the, the, the womb of the mother and get a sense of what this was, right? What this was inside. Anyway, as a result of all this technology, looking at this baby, examining it, investigating it, watching its metabolic functions, watching it urinate, swallow, move, and sleep, watching it dream, which you could see by its rapid eye movements via ultrasound, treating it, operating on it, I finally came to the conviction that this was my patient. This was a person. I was a physician pledged to save my patients' lives, not to destroy them. So I changed my mind on the subject of abortion. I was immediately summoned to a kangaroo court and was discharged from the pro-abortion movement, something I do not lose sleep over. So meaning the other people who were in his community that were also pro-abortion that he was a member of because he was one of the founding members of this organization, this narrow organization. So essentially he was rejected from his people um, that were pro-abortion people and he wasn't really a part of their group anymore. In 1985, Nathanson decided to put an ultrasound on the abdomen of a woman undergoing an abortion and videotape what happens. And this movie was called Silent Scream. He said, we got a film that was astonishing, shocking, frightening, he says. Right, so, so this is the first time really the public got a chance to see what was inside the womb and as the abortion actually is happening. It was shattering and the pro-abortion people panicked because at this point we had moved the abortion debate away from moralizing, sermonizing, sloganeering and pamphleteering into a high-tech argument. For the first time, the pro-life movement now had all of the technology and all of the smarts, and the pro-abortion people were on the defensive. You know, one, you know, there was a time where people considered that you know what was inside the womb of the mother was just a lump of tissue, like it wasn't actually a person, 
you know, and nobody expected that when you look at it, it looks like a person and it has all of the bodily functions of a person, especially toward the beginning of the pregnancy. And so it was easy to convince people to, that abortion was fine. Abortion actually, it was, it was convenient, it was easy. Again, many people used it as a for form of birth control. So, so now he's taken this argument and he's, you know, as he says, a window into the womb to see actually in reality what is there. What is it that you are killing inside of the womb? He made a second movie um, called Eclipse of Reason. In 1987, Nathanson re released another even stronger film called Eclipse of Reason about late-term abortions. Contrary to popular misconception, Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton makes abortion permissible up to and including the ninth month of pregnancy. Right? So even a child who is completely formed, who would be completely viable to live outside of the womb, who could be born in that moment and live, there were still people who were um, performing abortions on them and this was seen by some as being acceptable. This is how he describes the procedure, um, this dilation and evacuation, the procedure for actually performing this abortion. He says, it involves dilating the cervix, rupturing the bag of water, taking a large crushing instrument and introducing it way, up, way high up into the uterus, grabbing a piece of the baby, pulling it off the baby, and just repeating this procedure until the baby has been pulled apart piece by piece. Then the pieces are assembled on a table, put together like a jigsaw puzzle, so the abortionist can be sure that the entire baby has been removed. We photographed all this through the fetoscope. This was a shattering film. There are even abortions that are performed that during the course of the abortion, the baby actually comes out completely. But because the woman had already decided that she wanted abortion, the doctor actually kills the baby outside of the womb because the doctor has already been instructed to kill this baby. So, so it's not even inside anymore. Carol Everett of Dallas, Texas, got involved in the abortion industry in 1973. She describes how women coming to her clinics were counseled. So another aspect of this has to do with the money, right? Because everything has money behind it. The abortion clinics is, is a big income for them. So when you have like these pregnancy centers, right? These like emergency pregnancy centers and they say, oh, if you, you know, you, you need help or if you're pregnant and you need help, call these numbers. Okay, what does you get from these numbers? There are places that are like really true pregnancy centers where they give you the options. Abortion is one of the options. Some other options include like adoption, you know, or other things. But these abortion clinics, they, they push the abortion idea because they make money from all of the abortions that are performed. So this woman, Carol Everett, she worked in one of these abortion agencies and she describes what is it that she was trained to do whenever women call them that are, um, that are pregnant. So she says this, when they find out that they are pregnant, they may not want an abortion. They may want information. But when they call that number, which is paid for by abortion money, what kind of information do you think they are going to get? The counselor asks, how far along are you? What's the first day of your last normal period? The counselor is paid to be this girl's friend and authority figure. She is supposed to seduce her into a friendship of sorts to sell her the abortion. 
Prof uh, professional public relations firms train clinic personnel to sell women on the abortion option. Nita Witten, Witten worked as a chief secretary at another Dallas abortion clinic. And this is what she says. I was trained by a professional marketing director in how to sell abortions over the phone. He took every one of our receptionists, nurses, and anyone else who would deal with people over the phone through an extensive training period. The object was, when the girl called, to hook the sale so she wouldn't get an abortion somewhere else, or adopt out her baby, or change her mind. We were doing it for the money. Kathy Sparks, who worked in Granite City, Illinois, abortion clinic, describes the manipulative counseling practices used at her clinic. One particular worker was very good. She could sit down with these girls during counseling and cry with them at the drop of a pin. Whatever that pressure point was, she would magnify it. If the girl was afraid of her parents, that if the girl was afraid her parents would kill her and didn't know how to tell them, the counselor would proceed by saying, well, that's why abortion is here. We want to help you. This is the answer to your problems. If it was money, she would tell the girl how much baby items cost. You know it costs $3,000 to have a baby now. Or you know baby shoes are 28, sleepers are 15. But you know that's what's so wonderful about abortion. We can take care of this problem and you don't have to worry about it until you are financially prepared to have a child. The women were never given any type of alternatives to abortions, says Deborah Henry, who worked as an assistant and counselor for six months at an OB-GYN office in Livonia, Michigan. They were never told about adoption agencies, that there were people out there willing to help them, to give them homes to live in, to provide them with care and even financial support. They were not told about the development of the baby or about the pain that the baby would ex be experiencing or about the physical or emotional effects the abortion would have on them. Question one, does it hurt? Answer, no, your uterus is a muscle. It's a cramp to open it and a cramp to close it, just slight cramping sensation. Question two, is it a baby? The answer, no, it's a product of conception or it's a blood clot or it's a piece of tissue. They don't even call it a fetus because that almost humanizes it too much, but it's never a baby. What was the reaction of women after they had performed the abortion? The first is, I've killed my baby. It amazed me that this was the first time the patients called it a baby, but the first time they and the first time they called it murder. But the second reaction is, I'm hungry. You kept me in here for four hours and you told me I'd only be here for two. Let me out of here. The woman is doing what I did when I had my abortion. She is running from her abortion and not dealing with it. Also, she is not allowed to see the ultrasound. What about women having the, the abortions? Do they see the ultrasound? They are never allowed to look at the ultrasound because we knew that if they so much as heard the heartbeat, they wouldn't want to have the abortion. There are some states that make it illegal to show the woman the ultrasound, and there are some states that they are required to see the ultrasound before going through the abortion. I believe Texas requires now women who are seeking abortion to see the, um, to see the ultrasound prior. Well, yeah, so now six weeks and above, you cannot even have it. Um, but be prior to that, uh, you had to see. So this woman, Norma McCorvey, who was Jane Roe in the Roe v. Wade, okay, she now admits that Roe v. Wade was a fraud and that she was used by abortion rights attorneys in their quest to legalize the procedure. In 2003, she filed suit in federal court to have Roe v. Wade overturned. So even she was the one who was the one who initiated all of this. She was kind of manipulated into it 
by people who were trying to have like push their agenda, which is essentially to use this woman's case as a way of overthrowing the abortion bans um, in Texas and in other cities. This man, Harry Blackman, he was um, the Supreme Court justice at the time. He, he ruled, one of the judges who ruled in the Roe v. Wade decision. And this is what his daughter says about him. At the, she says, Roe was a case that dad struggled with. Blackman told the Feminist News Service. It was a case that he had asked his daughter's and wife's opinion about, right? So even he, and it, it turns out that his daughter was one of those who um, ha was pregnant and she sought an abortion. Um, and so he, it was a very personal case for him, right? He, d he didn't just take it as a legal matter. He, he was very personally invested in this case because his daughter had experienced that. While a 19-year-old sophomore Blackman's daughter discovered she was pregnant, um, she says, I did what so many young women of my era did. I quit college and married my 20-year-old college boyfriend. It was a decision that I might have made differently had Roe v. Wade been around. So he considers that because his daughter was so negatively affected in her life because she had to carry this baby and have the baby that, that, that the, the idea of, of abortion, if the abortion had been there, it would have perhaps made things easier for her. Blackman lost her child to a miscarriage in the weeks following her wedding. It took six years, she noted, to complete her graduation requirements, something she questions would have occurred had her child been born, had her child not been born. In those same six years, her hastily formed marriage collapsed. The year was 1972, the same year her father sought her input on Roe, the Roe v. Wade decision. So, more recently now, a um, few months back, uh, Texas, in order to get around the idea of um, the idea that abortion is a constitutional right, they came up with this interesting law that had a very interesting way of uh, um, of enforcement that allowed it to be passed even despite the fact that the Roe v. Wade decision still stood. Governor Greg Abbott signed into law one of the nation's strictest abortion measures, ba banning pr the procedure as early as six weeks into pregnancy. That is in direct contravention of the Supreme Court precedents in 1973, Roe v. Wade, which says states cannot ban abortion until fetal viability, which is about 22 to 24 weeks. Okay, so how did he do it? The bill bans abortions after whenever an ultrasound can detect what lawmakers defined as a fetal heartbeat, which can be as early as six weeks into pregnancy. It includes cases where the woman was impregnated as a result of rape or incest. There is an exception for medical emergencies. Some clinics are reporting a 60 to 70% reduction in abortion numbers since the bill was passed. Some pro-life advocates called the bill signing a landmark victory, but said a more comprehensive measure was still waiting for a vote in the legislature. The law also prohibits state officials from enforcing the ban, and this is where it gets interesting. The state cannot enforce the ban, but what they do is they tell, they say that any citizen, any person, Who's, who knows of a woman who is seeking an abortion after the six-week period can sue the woman for $10,000. And anyone who is like complicit in helping the woman to get the abortion also can be sued individually for $10,000. And this, this is not, so this is not considered a criminal uh, case against these people, but it is a civil case from individuals that have nothing to do with it. Like if you're walking down the street and you see a woman go into the abortion clinic and you know that she's going to get an abortion and she's more than six weeks, you can sue that woman, 
right? That's the way that they made, they structured this case in order to get around the ban that's coming from the Roe v. Wade. And this is the way it's been. And this, this case has been upheld multiple times since um, it was passed. More recently, just this past week, okay, there was a leaked Supreme Court document that indicates that Roe v. Wade might be overturned in June of 2022. Also, I should mention that after this Texas case was passed, more states started to become more bold in passing uh, anti-abortion measures, anti-abortion laws. In Oklahoma, uh, now abortion is completely banned. In Mississippi, the limit is 15 weeks. So anything after 15 weeks is banned. So this leak happened, and this would allow each state to decide for itself whether uh, abortion should be permitted or not. Many states, I think it's a total of 13 states, have what are called trigger laws that are already passed that essentially say if at some point in the future the, the Roe v. Wade decision is overturned, then abortion immediately becomes illegal in those states. Texas is one of those states. So it's expected that the Supreme Court is going to release its final decision about this in June. And if it's the case, then within 30 days after that happens, abortion will become completely illegal in Texas automatically because the law has already been passed. And other states as well have passed similar laws. Texas has a trigger ban, which was passed in June 2021, criminalizing abortion unless the woman's life is threatened or they are at serious risk of serious injury. The law would go into effect 30 days after the Supreme Court issues a judgment overruling Roe. Doctors could face life in prison and fines up to 100000 So at this point, it is a crime once this happens. Because once Roe v. Wade is overturned, now it becomes a crime. Now you can put the, the, the doctor in prison. Not like right now. Right now, it's just like a civil suit of $10,000. So what about the stance of the church? So the church considers that after conception, essentially after the, the sperm and the egg combine, now this is a human being. From that instant, not after a certain period of time after that, not after six weeks or 15 weeks or however many weeks, the instant that the two come together, this is conception and it is a human being. So from conception to birth, the Holy Scripture never refers to the unborn child as a fetus or an embryo, but as a child or a son. Thus, the church values life as sanctified and sacred from the moment of conception. And we have some quotes, actually, from the early church fathers that even spoke about abortion. Um, Athenagoras of Athens, he wrote to Emperor uh, Marcus Aurelius to defend Christians against false charges of murder. And this is what he says. What reason would we have to commit murder when we say that women who induce abortions are murderers and will have to give account of it to God? St. Basil the Great, he said, a woman who deliberately destroys a fetus is answerable for murder. St. John Chrysostom, in his homilies against men who secured abortions of their illegitimate offspring, he called their actions even worse than murder. Of such men who impelled women to have abortions, he said, you do not let a prostitute remain a prostitute, but make her a murderer as well. So the church considered, even from the very early years, that anyone who induced abortion, who killed like anyone who was inside, like, like a person who was in the womb, as a human being, that this was murder. In Psalm 139, it says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret 
and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as, they were none, when as yet there were none of them. So God sees and knows us even before we are visible, even before we are born. He knows us as human beings, right? That this is, this is the act of creation and, and that we are, we are human beings even prior to being born. So this is why the stance of the church is very strict when it comes to abortion. The only um, times where abortion is permitted is if the woman's life is at risk. This is the only time that abortion is permitted. There are laws that say that abortion is permitted when the woman's health is at risk. Health and life are not the same because many people interpret these laws to say that if the woman's health is at risk, it could also mean mental health. So if the woman is like in anguish because of the pregnancy she's in, then in some states, in some places, that would qualify for her to have an abortion. The church does not see it this way. So as I said at the very beginning, okay, we have these different um, priorities. Freedom is important, and freedom is good, and God grants us freedom. But, but freedom does not grant us the permission to kill another person. The, the act of giving birth and giving life to another human being is sacred, and God gives us this privilege as human beings to partake in this process of giving birth to another person. And because it is sacred, it is a great responsibility. That means that we are participating in something as stewards of God for the, for the birth of these new human beings. And so because the church, we believe that a human being is actually in, in the womb of the mother from conception, we believe that anything that prevents the birth, even certain forms of birth control, that prevents the birth of this child is actually considered killing the child, killing this person who already has a soul, already has a spirit at that point. Okay? So this is the church's view of abortion. We spoke a little bit about the history and, and kind of some of the, the modern the events that have happened. I know we don't have a lot of time, but questions and yes, yes. Yeah, the, this is the partial birth abortion. Yeah. Mm. But this was this was passed during the time of George W. Bush. Prior to that, you could actually do it. And at the time when this was happening, they would do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. We, yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So, obviously we we don't have a we we don't have a definitive answer because God did not reveal it to us. But and there are there are different um church fathers that have different opinions about it. But all we can say is um, we know that God is merciful and he does not create us to destroy us. 
You know, he does not allow us to, to come into life without any opportunity to live or to choose good and evil in order for us to be destroyed. So I can say my opinion, you know, and even though there isn't any clear, you know, specific evidence where God says this is what will happen to them, but I do not believe that God is going to condemn them to destruction because they didn't have a chance to live. They are the most innocent of the innocents, right? And they didn't have a chance in any way. So that's that's my personal opinion. I don't believe I believe they're going to go to heaven. That's that's what I believe. Yes. So of course rape and incest is a horrible crime against the woman, right? But at the same time we say okay, well the the, the baby that is produced from this is still a human being. So if the woman is not able to have the baby, she of course can give the baby up for adoption. But we still, in that case, we don't consider abortion just because, again, we consider it murder. So we don't want to, we, don't, we, we cannot correct a sin by committing a second sin. Yeah. Yes. I mean, def I mean, definitely we are. We would be happy that they are going to heaven, and we don't know what would be kind of their outcome in the world. And actually, that's the case for anyone who dies at any time. You know, like sometimes, say somebody dies in a tragic accident, um, and they're young and they didn't have a chance to live a long life. What can we say about it? Well, we don't know, right? I mean, we don't know the wisdom of God in it. But one one possibility is that God took them in a good time in their life. Whereas if they had lived longer, maybe, yeah, maybe like as you said. But it doesn't, it doesn't justify the decision to do so, right? Like I can't say, well, I'm actually doing them a favor by killing them when they're young, right? We can't, because the same thing, we can't say that for people who are alive. Like I can't take a child and say, you know what, you're in your best state right now, so I'm just going to save you the, you know, s save you the heartache of living the rest of your life. That doesn't justify killing anyone, right? So it is not up to us as human beings to, to, to kill, God is the one who gives the life, and God is the one who takes the life. And so it, it is not up to us to, 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 take the, to, to take the life of someone who is innocent, right? Because it is in God's timing, not, not in our own timing. Okay. okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day, and we ask you, O God, to protect all of us and to protect all those, O Lord, who are unborn, who are the most vulnerable and the most innocent of all of us, and to help us, O God, to do what we can to protect them. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercy upon us all, despite all of the failures and the mistakes that we make. We ask you, O God, to fill us with your grace, with your spirit, to strengthen us, and to enlighten us, O Lord, with the truth, so that we can approach you and that we could have eternal salvation for us and for all those, O Lord, who come to you. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hears as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.
Happy Mother's Day.